The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Whether you are aware of it or not this morning, you have come to be a part of or to witness a communion service. This is arguably the most important activity that the church participates in on a regular basis. It is a time when we stop from our lives, stop even from our regular course of Sunday mornings, and we stop and we devote ourselves to thinking about what Christ has done for us. It really is supposed to reprioritize our lives, to bring us back to the center. What is this whole thing all about? When a preacher says this is the most important activity, you should really listen up, because he usually thinks preaching is. I'm telling you that the Lord's Supper is the most important thing we do. The truth is, though, we come to the Lord's table with different understandings and appreciations of it. Some have been in services like this hundreds and hundreds of times. And every single time it gets sweeter and sweeter. And others are here, and it's, it's not really a normal thing that you're a part of. Maybe you're here for the first time. I like that we have our junior church here this morning because... The truth is, when they come to this service without that, years of experience and understanding of what this, what this means. Uh, we had a couple visit us a few months ago, uh, Dexley and Brianna, and they were coming from Massachusetts, uh, kind of on the, on the east coast of the U.S., and when they came, we took them to a Maroons hockey game. And I was so excited because it was the first game I'd been out to see this year, and I thought it would be awesome to show Canadian culture to them, and when I was watching the game, I kept looking over at Dexley and, and seeing this puzzled look on his face. It's like, so are you enjoying it? And he's like, yeah, but I, I just don't really know what's going on. You know? And so, so then I'm trying to like tell him, like, oh, offside, this is what offside is. Oh, that's icing, this is what icing is. Oh, he punched a guy in the face. You're not allowed to do that. And, you know, <laughs> trying to give him an, a little bit of an understanding of what the rules of hockey are, because... When you come, as awesome as it is, if you don't know the rules, you don't know how the game works, it's really hard, right? And so I recognize that this morning, we do come with a different understanding of the Lord's Supper. And some of us, we understand it, and it's so meaningful already, and others, we might just not get it all yet. And we grasp that something significant is happening, but we don't understand why. And so I want to begin this morning with a little bit of a brief explanation of what the Lord's Supper is, why we do it, and what it's supposed to do in us. Um, So what the Lord's Supper is. The Lord's Supper is appropriately named because it is a supper that Christ instituted while he was eating what we call the Last Supper with the disciples. And I just want you to remember that time for a moment, that Jesus was there, and they they were celebrating the Passover meal. So for the disciples, this was a wonderful feast, and it was a time that they remembered that God had miraculously delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and then eventually brought them into the promised land. And so they think back of the Passover and they think of the time when God passed over the, the firstborn Israelite because the blood of the lamb was smeared on the doorpost. The, the lamb died in, in the son's place so that the son could go free and be eventually delivered from sin and led into the promised land. It really is a beautiful picture of what Christ did. But for them, they're thinking solely of the Passover lamb, the Passover feast. This is what we're doing here. They have no clue 
about the events that are going to transpire in the next 12 hours or so. They don't know that this is the last time Jesus will eat with them before his resurrection. They don't know that Jesus is going to be betrayed that night, early that next morning, that he'd be taken and beaten and brought before these mock trials and eventually led to a cross and crucified. They're they're oblivious. And Jesus here is trying to, to take this Passover feast that they've celebrated for so long, that is so meaningful for them, and make the whole feast about him. Right? Not, and, and we sometimes say change its meaning. It's not change its meaning. It's to fulfill its meaning. Right? The feast was always pointing toward the, the Passover lamb that would be slain. Christ, who would be slain for us. It was always pointing toward Christ. And so Jesus is saying, this is what this whole thing is about. And so he changes his meaning, and then as he does that, he tells them to continue to do this in remembrance of him. That that this is not the only time that you should celebrate this meal. In fact, this is something that the disciples should and would do from that point until now. And until Christ comes again, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Supper Christ instituted, and he did it there to remind us of the sacrifice that he made for us. And so, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we understand that this is a remembrance of the rescue that God provided for us. It's supposed to bring unity among us. It's supposed to remind us all that we sit here together as sinners, all equally sinful. And those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ all equally forgiven at the foot of the cross. There's no hierarchy of people here. There's no classes. There's no people that come as better sinners. We all come to the cross as, as completely depraved. No hope on our own. And so this is supposed to unify us, to remind us that nobody's better than somebody else. We're all sinners. And now, if you're saved, we're all now children of God. Right? That unifies us. That brings us together. It reminds us of what this is all about. It also encourages healing. Healing to broken relationships. As we sit here at the Lord's Supper and remember the forgiveness offered to us, it should remind us that Jesus told us that we ought to be forgiving each other. And so it should heal those relationships. It really should put the sin that somebody else has done against you into perspective. You're a sinner, they're a sinner, they sin against you. No big surprise. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's easy. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things that we're called to do. But it's supposed to remind us that we've been forgiven so much more than anyone will ever sin against us. And we've been forgiven by a perfect and holy and righteous God who himself has never sinned. And so it should promote healing in our relationships. It should also prompt gratitude among us. We should come here and just be so grateful that God would look down from heaven on rebels and choose to send his son to die for them. Why? What does he get out of that deal? He's got enemies, and instead of giving them the justice they deserve, he gives them the life of his son to die in their place and take the justice, the the punishment, on his shoulders. And so it's an amazing thing to 
remember what God has done for us. And we need to be reminded constantly and constantly amazed at his sacrifice because we must be a grateful people. So it should prompt gratitude among us. It also should invite clarity to our lives. We very easily forget those things that are most important because there are so many things clamoring for our attention all the time. Right? I mean, we get the Christmas season coming, and, and as, a, as a believer in Christ, you know the battle. You know that, that every commercial tells you the new thing you should buy, and you got kids who want, and gifts are just exciting to them, and I know because I love gifts. <laughs> I'm a gift guy. If you don't want to know my love language, give me stuff. <laughs> That's, I'm selfish. So, so here, we've got, we've got in our lives so many things that are just shouting for our attention. And we come to this table, and we eat these most simple elements, and we're reminded of what is absolutely most important. It should prompt clarity in our lives. It should promote purity. Purity. Now, Christ came to die for sin, right? He came to forgive us of our sin. Do you remember when Paul is talking about this and he says, well, Christ died for us and so that, does that mean we can continue in sin so that grace may abound? Right? Because it would, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if we have sinned, his grace abounds toward us and so why not now take this opportunity to live our lives however we choose because we know that we'll be forgiven. Paul says, God forbid we think that way. What a terrible way of thinking. Our sin put our Savior on the cross. And so as we come to this table, we should be looking at our sin and hating it and seeing what it's done and seeing how evil and wicked it is. It's easy for us to think sin is no big deal because we're used to it. It's all around us all the time. The communion table is supposed to remind us of how God sees sin, that it's wicked enough that the only acceptable punishment for that sin is the life of his perfect son. And so it should promote purity among us. And finally, it should reaffirm our devotion to Christ. This should be a time when we come and we say, you know what, you know what, Christ? I love you. And I'm all in. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. Right? This is, I, as I take the, the bread and the cup, and I participate in the blood of Christ and the body of Christ, as I share together with, with, as believers, reaffirms that we are his, that he is ours, that we're fully devoted to him. And so it's this last point, this idea of being devoted to Christ, that I want to look at as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 11 is the most popular and instructive passage in the Bible on the Lord's Supper. That is a time where Paul is correcting the abuses of the Lord's Supper that's seen in the Corinthian church. And certainly they needed to be corrected, but a lot of times we don't look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which is when Paul first mentions the Lord's Supper in his letter to the Corinthian church. And so before Paul gets to the instruction in chapter 11, he uses the Lord's Supper as an example when making the case against idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to begin reading at verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to wise men, judge you what I say. 
He says, brothers and sisters, I love you, beloved, dearly beloved. But you need to flee idolatry. You need to quit that idolatrous stuff. And I imagine that as he says this, they go, oh, what are you talking about? We're not committing idolatry. We're, we're believers now. We go to church. We're not idolatrous. Just like if we were to say today, brothers and sisters, flee from idolatry, you would say, what are you talking about? I'm not idolatrous. So he's going to try and make a point. And he actually says, I love how he says this. He says, I speak to wise men, judge what you say. What he's saying is, you guys are smart people. You're not dummies. And so listen to what I'm saying. Listen to the case I'm making and see if you can figure this out for yourselves. He says in verse 16, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. He says the cup. Is it not the participation in, or the sharing in, Right, the communion with the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. Is, is that, we don't understand that as we come to the Lord's table, what we're doing is we're saying we are, we are under the blood. We are a part of the blood. The blood that was spilled, that was spilled for me. And so when I take that cup, I'm saying, he is mine. He died for me. That blood is mine. It covers me. We're sharing in his sacrifice that way. And and with the body and the bread, it's the same thing. We're sharing in the fact that he sacrificed his life, his his body for us. Right? It's supposed to remind us of of who we're united to, who's that we belong to. We're sharing in that. We are his, he is ours. And we do that together as a church family. And so it's it's this whole community as one body that shares in that blood and the bread body. Then he goes on and he talks about how in some ways these believers are actually sharing in things that are idolatrous as well. And the point he's trying to make is, guys, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for you to come to this table and share in the blood of Christ and the body of Christ and then to leave this place and go to the same thing with idols. So listen to what he says in verse number 18. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the, of the sacrifices, sacrifices partakers of the altar. Saying that when Israel comes, it's the same deal. When they partake of the altar, what they were to do is they were to, to take that um, animal that had been killed and they would take it home and they would cook it and they would eat it and that would demonstrate that they had shared in the sacrifice. So it's the same thing for them. So then he says in verse 19, What shall I say then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? What he's saying is, you guys understand this, as, because Israel did in the past, but, but don't you understand that in your culture, there are animals sacrificed all the time to false gods. Right? They're always being sacrificed, and you seem to be completely okay with taking part in that idolatrous sacrifice because you get a nice meal out of it. You understand how, how problematic that is for you. Because you're sharing in what was once sacrificed to this idol. It says in verse 20, But I say the things with the, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. 
And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You're saying people are making offerings to false gods around you all the time. And understand that most of the Corinthian believers were Gentiles. It was a Gentile town. Now, a lot of the first that were saved in Corinth were, were Jews. But it seems like it makes sense that after that time, the gospel went out to the Gentiles. And many got saved. And Corinth was a terribly sinful, awful place to live. And so these people were growing up with idolatry all the time. They had idolatry in their past. This, is, this was their lives up to this point. He says, don't you understand that now you're saved? There's some things that you can't do anymore. There are some meals that you can't eat. Now, he actually goes on later in this chapter, and he, and he makes the point that, hey, if you don't know if it's been sacrificed to idols or not, don't worry about it. Ignorance is bliss. That's essentially what he says. Don't, don't trouble yourself with trying to you know, get to the bottom of it all. Don't be legalistic about it. But he's saying here, if you know that this is a sacrifice to an idol, you know this is wrong, don't, don't take part in it. Okay? I'm getting to a point here, I know that this is a lot of like old, like first century stuff, but I'm hopefully going to bring it into today in a minute, so stick with me, all right? They grew up in a culture that was rich in idolatrous religious tradition, and so for them, they needed to make a break from their past life so that they could live now as believers, and that meant saying no to some things. God makes the vital importance of faithfulness to him. Crystal clear. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? He says, listen guys, it's not okay for you to now join the Lord's table, and identify yourself with Christ. Identify with his blood, with his sacrifice for you, and then leave and go and identify with yourself with all of the idolatrous practices that happen outside of this place. That It's not okay to do both. You can't be a part of the Lord's sacrifice, the Lord's table, and that of idols. Now, you say, Dan, we don't do that, Right? Nobody here is going to like a, a feast this afternoon with a, with a meal that's been sacrificed to some false god before this. I mean, it's not, it's not going to happen. But you understand that human nature never changes. And that we are depraved. And our hearts are just as apt to create idols and worship them as theirs were. And theirs may have been physical idols that you could see. And for us, we worship other things, but we just like they are created to worship. We're worshipers by nature. We can't get around it. We worship other things. We worship materialism. We worship stuff. We worship our position. We worship influence. We worship power, authority. We worship sex. We worship all kinds of things, right? So many terrible things that we go to and when you worship something, it doesn't mean you fall down before it and, and you know, you're, you're kissing the ground of this idol. What it means is we go to these places to find our security, to find our joy, to find our meaning and our purpose. Right? We, don't, we don't look to Christ to find our identity. Instead, we look to 
who we are and what position we are and what job we have and what car we drive and, and what house we have and all these things. This is a really hard thing for us. It's actually, I think, more difficult than just having this false idol that we can put away because those things in and of themselves aren't evil, are they? It's, it's not evil to have a house. It's evil to find your security in that house, to find your joy to go to that house to be like the thing that you care most about. And so I actually, I was talking to Tara this week and, and I was like, hey, babe, I'm having trouble figuring out how to apply this properly? I mean, how do I, how do I say that this is bad, and the, but it's not always bad? And, and the, the thing that I got to here was, the only way that this works, that the, the Word of God works here for me, is you know your own heart. And your heart is an idol-making factory just like mine. It is. But your heart makes a different shaped idol than mine, right? Each of our factories are custom factories. We have our own things. And so what I'm saying is, as we look at this text and we think about the fact that we we must be devoted to Christ to share in this supper and then to put away those things that we used to worship, that we might be tempted to worship, to not be a part of both of these things, the worship of both. We can't do both. We shouldn't do both. The only way to apply this to your own life is to know your own heart. Ask yourself the question, what is the idol that I'm tempted to worship? Where do I go when I need to to find encouragement or joy or when I'm having a rough day and I just need something to make me better? What do I think of when I look for my security? Where is my primary identity found? It ought to be found if you're a believer in the gospel of Christ, in who you are because of him. And so as we think about the Lord's Supper today, let's come here and say, Lord, I'm devoted to you. I'm participating in your body and in your blood. I'm sharing in communion with you and with this church family. And as I do that, I'm going to do my best to not share in the idolatry out there not share in the idolatry of my past, right? To not be at the Lord's table and at the table of devils. And so this is a great passage. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 reminds us to love not the world, nor the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is a pretty clear verse. If we are setting our affections on all those things outside... It's really hard to come here and say, but God, I really love you too. You know? Can I tell you something? It won't work with Tara. I can't tell her I really love her and all of those girls. Right? And yet we think it's okay to, to have all of our devotion and all of our worship on Christ on Sunday and then to worship and be devoted to all these other things later on. And it's not okay. Be faithful to your God. Do you know that the problem with Israel through the Old Testament was unfaithfulness? And he constantly brought this analogy of unfaithfulness is the same as adult, adultery. And so let's be faithful to our God as we come to this table today. Um, I'm going to pray, and then I'll ask the men to come forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this reminder. We thank you that you have given your life 
that we could be yours, that we could be forgiven, set free from our sin and the bondage. Lord, I pray that we would see clearly in our own hearts the idols that we tend to worship and that we would, instead of worshiping them, worship you and be fully devoted to you. Lord, I pray as we share in your body and blood today that we would be be not double-minded that same time as we claim to love you, we love all these other things so much. Lord, help us to be devoted to our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.